0: First John, chapter number four. Let's read to the end of the chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know, and we have come to believe, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us He's a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's go to the Lord this morning and ask for help. Our Father, we are thankful that we uh, have... um, because of your mercy and because of your grace experienced your love in that your son's sacrifice was a, was applied to us on our behalf, and because of what you have done, we have access to you. We're thankful for the love that has been abundantly poured out upon us, that we would be called the children of God. And now as children of God, may we by your spirit, love one another. Father, we are thankful for the gathering of the saints. We're thankful for the gathering of the saints here at, at Calvary this morning. It is a, a, a joy and a refreshment for the soul. I pray that as we uh, look into your word, that you would use your word to transform us into the likeness of your son. So that as we leave this place, we would truly love one another and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves and that Christ would be seen in us and that we might be able to point people who are without Christ, that we might be able to point them to Jesus Christ and they might be saved. We were reminded this morning that even as we partake of the Lord's Supper, there are countless other congregations who are doing the same thing and we are thankful that we are part of this um, this holy nation that has no borders, that is around the world, and for the partnership and the fellowship we can have with brothers and sisters in Christ who do not gather here, but gather in different places. I think this morning, particularly of Doug Burdett in Ulrich's Community Church, even right now, he is getting into the pulpit. We're thankful for your work in his heart. We're thankful for your work in his life. For both he and Timmy, as they um, are involved in the community there in Ulrichs, as they show forth Christ in every area of life, and now as he stands to preach, I pray that you would use him for your glory. Help him, Lord, to make much of Christ, that Christ might be glorified and magnified above all. We also think of Sam Parker down at Ridgeview Bible Church in Shatter, Nebraska. Lord, we're thankful for him. Lord, this is a new pastorate for him, his first pastorate. We're thankful for Ridgeview and for their faithfulness throughout the years in uh, proclaiming the gospel there in shatterton and now we pray that you would, you would strengthen and encourage Sam's heart even now as we speak, as we gather here, they're gathering, and he too is opening the word of God, and I pray that you use him in the hearts and the lives of those who are there. Father, thank you again for the time we're able to gather together. Help us not only to uh, learn in our head what your scriptures have to say but by your spirit may we put it to practice in our relationship one with another in Jesus name amen we've noted in the past that John has is cyclical in his letter in that he comes back to the this general topics uh, uh throughout throughout the letter and he does so on several occasions beginning in chapter number number 1 and he has circled back again to this uh, this aspect of the love of the saints. And and he he began back in chapter 2, speaking about this love uh, that we have for one another indicates our sonship. Here, he is speaking of our loving one another as the assurance that God abides in us. It's a reminder that as he writes this letter, he writes for the assurance of the saints. His desire is to encourage his readers who are facing facing false teachers and many who had left the church and uh, were beginning to cause these readers, from what we assume in the reading, to begin to question whether or not what they were believing was absolutely true. What they had heard from John and from the other apostles, if what, what they heard about Jesus Christ and what they had learned about God and about their relation with him was actually true. And throughout this text, throughout this letter, he is encouraging them and pointing, to, pointing them to particular markers or evidences in their lives that show their relationship with God. And so we'll find that here in this chapter. In fact, we talked about it last week, and we looked at the first two points in this passage that deals with loving one another. The first two verses we read in verses 7 and 8, we, we said that it teaches us that we love one another because we are born of God, or rather, because of who we are. Let's read those two verses again, beginning in verse number seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, be very clear. We talked about this last week, and I want to reemphasize this. He is not telling us to love one another in order to know God. He is saying loving one another is the outcome of knowing God. It is the result of God abiding in us. That's why he is not in a command mode here. He is in a subjunctive mood, which means that he is inviting us. We ought to, we we really should love one another because of who we are. Now, we are commanded to love one another, but that's not the point here. The point here is because you belong to God, because you are born of God, the natural outcome should be that you love one another. And we still live in the flesh, and so we still get our, our. We still get mad at other at one another. However, you will you want to want to work, term term those those things, and so it's not a perfect love, but it is a there is a bent toward the loving of one another. And, and here's the idea that we find here. And if you read through it, you can see it played out. Being born of God and knows God. The idea is that of, of relationship, familial racial relationship. We are born of God. We are no longer born of Adam. That's the idea there. We read from uh, Genesis chapter 4 last week where the, there is a clear distinction between Cain and Abel. There was a blood relationship in that they were brothers, but Cain was born of Satan spiritually. He was spiritually dead, Abel was not. There is a contrast that is there. The the concept we have here then is that because we are born of God who is love, therefore our normal, natural characteristics should be that of love. We would call these these attributes of God or these perfections of God, these are the communicable attributes. And those of you who are coughing right now, you know the idea of communicable (laughs) attributes. You are sharing with us your sickness, and we thank you very much. But that's kind of the idea there. Or when you look at your son or your your daughter and you see your characteristics in them, then for many of us it scares you to death when you see them doing the same things you did, and you're thinking, "Don't go there. Been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt, and it's just not worth it." But we see the characteristics that is there. But even in greater, in a, even in a greater way, in that God has brought us into His family. It, we have made us children of God, and he has imparted to us love. The love for one another. And so as a, as a child of God, we are to love one another. So we love one another because we are born of God. Because of who we are, we love one another. Second of all, we talked about last week, we love one another because God first loved us. Beginning in verse number nine. Read with me there again in your Bibles. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. By, by this idea of we loving one another because God first loved us, we see an example that is here. In other words, to define love, if you look in verse number 8, John gives us the definition of love. The definition of love is God. God is love. Well, what does that mean? Well, in verse number 9, he explains what it looks like, Right? This is how love was manifested among us. And this is what we see. We see that it is demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. There's a demonstration of what love is to be what, what love is to be between brothers and sisters in Christ. We esteem others better than ourselves. We look to others as being above us and more important to us as we serve one another. Um, Jesus when he, when he washed the feet of his disciples. That role was a role of a servant, of a bond slave. And yet he humbled himself as their leader, as their Savior, as their Lord. He humbled himself and he served them sacrificially, humbly, and doing the job that no one else wanted to do. And how do we know that no one else wanted to do it? because no one else did it. so he washed their feet. He served them. That's the idea that we have here. We serve one another because we see how God has loved us in giving sacrificially um, and unconditionally uh, for our sake. Now, we look at the last two that John speaks of, beginning in verse number 12. And I'm going to take the words of the, verse, the verses here to, to, uh, to give it a title. We love one another because we know and believe that we are loved. Okay, I, I know that point number two is that we love because he first loved us. It sounds almost redundant to say that we love one another because we know and believe that we are loved. But they are actually different. John is reasoning that God's love toward us is not only manifested outwardly, but God's love for us is also revealed to us or affirmed within us by His Spirit inwardly. It is one thing to see the extent of God's love in the cross work of Christ, it is life transforming to come to realize and to be assured that this love is for you personally. I've shared with you in the past that when Kelly and I were first married, and I don't, I had a wonderful childhood. My mom and dad were loving parents, I love them. I don't know where, where my weirdness came from, but, but when Kelly and I first married, I knew that she loved me. But I knew that she loved the Matt that she dated. I mean, it's, right, dating's a farce. Um, we're all on our best behavior, and and she fell in love with that mat, but I knew that she was going to wake up the next morning and find the real mat that was laying next to her, and with the morning breath, and messed up hair, and everything else, and it was nasty, and I was a... I honestly... W- what was a little... Unsure whether she would continue to love me when she really got to know me (laughs) And I know that sounds really insecure But that's just the truth when I finally came to the realization that she wasn't gonna leave It I mean it literally changed My relationship with her It, it it changed everything because I knew that I was truly, genuinely loved with all my flaws. That's the difference, I think, that John is is making here. Is that while we might see the the extent of God's love, which is great, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That, That is wonderful. But the inward working of the Spirit of God that affirms in our heart that we are truly loved transforms our relationship, not only toward God, but toward one another. And so this is what he what he lays out for us in the passages that that follow. And and this is why Paul was so adamant about the about the saints in Ephesus to know and to comprehend the depth of God's love. If you read if you read the, the the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to them, and he says, I, my prayer for you, and I pray for you all the time, is that you would be rooted, and this is what he says, you'd be rooted and grounded in love, and you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to know and to continue to, continue to grow in your knowledge of just how much you actually are loved. So let's look in these next five verses, where John makes five assertions that build the one upon the other to show the inner workings of God's Spirit, that assures our hearts that we belong to Him. And this really is the the process, the, the process that God that God brings us to a to a um, uh, to know Him in a very real way. Beginning in verse number twelve, with this with his premise. That the invisible God abides in us, and His love is perfected. Look in verse number twelve. No one has ever seen God. That, that's kind of an interesting this there, this passage or that phrase, as well as one we're going to look at in just a minute. has just caught my attention these last couple of weeks. No one has ever seen God. Primarily, and how does this fit into the whole context of this passage? And I, I think it fits. With the preceding verses as well as these verses, I I thought i I better look up some commentaries and see what they say about this passage of Scripture. And the very first one I opened, it was a very good commentary. It said, this passage is really unclear as to how it applies. And I thought, well, that's good. I'm not the only, only one. But I think this is really how it applies. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us no one has ever seen god jesus so so let's see if we can can kind of flesh this out just a little bit no one has ever seen god when we read that we understand that jesus is god the son and he is the radiance of the glory of the invisible god the exact imprint of his nature we know that he is the image of god but god the father jesus says in john chapter 4 is a spirit, and so those who worship Him will worship Him in spirit in truth. Therefore, no one has ever seen God, the Father. But John is saying here, if we love one another, that is the evidence that God, this invisible God, abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So while we cannot see the see the see God the father we can know his presence because he abides in us and it is evidenced by the love that we have for one another loving one another is the outcome of God abiding in us at this point John is not in a again he's not in the command mode demanding that his readers love one another he is speaking solely upon the fact of what God's love within us what God what what happens when God abides in us? When God abides in us, and when His love is perfected in us, the outward evidence will be that we love one another. By the way, as we noted last week, the idea of being perfected, has to do with coming to completion or accomplishing what its chief and intended end was meant to be, reaching its intended purpose. So this love has a purpose, and it has a uh, has a desired end or effect in our lives. Here we find that it is perfected in that we are assured of God's presence in our life, and we love God one another. He uses the term again two other times in this portion, and then one other time he uses that same term of the love of God being perfected in us in chapter 2. John now presents the inner workings of God's Spirit that brings the saint to a perfected Love, beginning in verse number 13. He reveals the work not only, not only of the Holy Spirit, but the functions of each person of the Godhead. And I want you to notice as we read through these chapters, and I would encourage you to read it on your own, read it on your own because, there, because John gives, without the intention of a, um, of a study on the Trinity, John speaks about the Trinity. His intent is to encourage the saints. And in doing that, he speaks about the workings of the spirit within that is sent by the Father who is proclaiming the works of the Son. Let's read read together. God gave us his spirit. This is the the process that that we find that John lays out for us. God gave gave us of his spirit. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We know that Jesus told his disciples that it was expedient for him to go back to the Father because when he went back to the Father, he would send forth the Spirit, or another comforter, one just like Jesus, who would come alongside them, would make his abode with them so that the very God of gods would be dwelling within the body of Christ. Now, I don't know if, if, you, if you've thought about this a whole lot. I, I would imagine that you have, but I would, I would encourage you to, to just meditate upon this truth throughout this, this week. We, we're studying through the book of Leviticus in our first hour, this this morning, Isaac was teaching from uh, chapter chapters eight, nine, and, and ten, because it's an overview um, about about God instructing Moses and the priesthood and the the uh, the uh, Aaron Aaron and his sons to consecrate the tabernacle and the vessels that were in the tabernacle because God would appear to them the next day and we talked about that quite a bit and and i the way isaac talked about it this morning was was that that's kind of a a, a disturbing kind of disturbing news that god's going to appear to you the next next day i mean mike brought out the fact that they had already seen the the appearance of god on mount sinai where the mountain shook and lightning came, and the clouds came down, and where they said, hey, Moses, we don't want to see that anymore. You go talk to God, and you tell us what he said. So they were, there was a, a fearful thing, and God said, I'm going to come and appear to you. And he came. They offered their offerings, and God, in, a, in his fire, came down and consumed the offerings, the sacrifices. What a, and and the, the, the Bible says that they all shouted and hit the ground. Free, free translation. They all, they did. They all just shouted, and, and he hit the ground. Obviously, that's an understatement, right? They, they just—it was fearful. It was a fearful thing. And then we see throughout the, the 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 life of the the nation of Israel, where the tabernacle, where God would come upon the tabernacle in a cloud or a cloud cloud, so that they could not serve there. And they saw the this Shekinah glory, if you will coming upon them and then when Christ comes and he tears the veil between the outer court and the holy of holies whereby we might have access to the very throne of God he gives us by his blood access to the throne room of God he ascends to the father and he sends his holy spirit the very God of all creation to come and to make his abode. That's the King James term, terminology, to abide, to make his abode, to make his dwelling place within these jars of clay. That is what God has done. And he has given to us his spirit that bears witness in our hearts that we are children of God. He's given us, the Father has given us his spirit to affirm a right, a new and a right relationship with the Father, to affirm with us that we abide in God and God in us. This is the convicting work of the spirit. Not not, not the subjective Feelings of your emotions. Oh, I just feel God today. I'm not anti-emotions. Don't ever think I, I'm, I'm an emotional guy when I feel like it. Um, but the the um, I lost track of my thought. Um, but this is not just speaking of how you feel. I I I know I I know He's in my heart because I feel Him. That that's. It's really shaky ground, isn't it? Because you don't always feel that God is in your heart. But aren't you glad that that's not what determines whether he's in your heart or not? If God's presence in my life was determined by how I felt, that's a frightful thing. so, So the idea of the spirit of God... Affirming in our hearts that we belong to him and that we abide in him and he in us is wonderful work. It's not just a subjective work, it is a it is a, an active work of the Spirit of God revealing to us what is truth. But not only has the Father given to us his Son or His Spirit, but look at verse number 14. Verse 14, and we, and let me just clarify there, John is speaking about the apostles and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. It, it goes back to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, right? He says, that which, we have, what, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. This is, these are the apostles, the disciples that were Jesus. These things were concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it, and we testify to it, We proclaim it to you, the eternal life which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is speaking about the apostolic witness. If you will, John is speaking about the revealed word of God. Speaking about the Bible. That's the apostolic witness that we have. It is, the the Bible we have today is the witness of 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 the apostles, of what they had seen and heard. That's what the foundation of the church is, is the Word of God. So God not only gives to us His Spirit, but He gives to us His Word. And God doesn't only give us His Spirit, and God not only gives us His Word, but He also gives us the faith to believe. Look in verse number 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him. So when God abides in you, it it is because the Spirit of God has revealed to you the truth from the Word of God, and it has been applied to your heart to believe what is written or what is said. I think it's really important for us to understand this. Why did you believe? And why did your neighbor not believe? What makes you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, what makes you so special that you believed and an unbeliever not so special and that they did not believe? Is it something in you that you were a little more inquisitive about it, about God? Was it because you were searching for him and the lost person is not? If that's true, why were you searching for him and a and lost person not? The, the reason is because God is working in your heart. It's because the spirit of God is pursuing you. It's because God is the one that, and we, we see salvation as beginning with God, as though he is the author of salvation, author of our faith, and he's also the finisher of our faith. He is the one who has initiated from the very start. I love, uh, the first time, and it was years, we were married for a few years, once I got past my insecurities, um, <laughs> Kelly, Kelly shared her testimony as a little girl who grew up without mom and dad. Mom and dad didn't know Jesus. And she had a, a, a keen interest in spiritual matters, wondered about heaven and hell, and her mom and dad could not give her answers all her life. And then she went to church one while well, she was in high school and she heard the gospel. This is what she says, and, and sorry, I'm not giving you an opportunity to share it yourself, but, but, but the, she, said, she said, I heard the gospel, and I heard, this is what I've been looking for. And she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then she said, and then I began to study and to read the Bible, and the more I came to know the Lord, the more I realized, in all those years from a little girl, I wasn't looking for God. God was looking for me. He is the one that pursued after me. He is the one that brought me to a saving faith. He is the one that put that curiosity in my heart. And He is the one that opened my eyes at that particular time in my life. Were you in the ninth grade? In the ninth grade, that I might be able to see Jesus Christ for who He really is. So God gives us the faith to believe, to confess, that Jesus is the Son of God. By the way, that's why we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel of every creature, every opportunity we have. We want to share Christ. We want to point people to Jesus. We want to continue to talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus, and show forth Jesus in every way. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to do salvation to all who believe. It is not by your persuasive power that your friends will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God upon their lives. That's why we share Christ. That's why we pray diligently for them. We pray for God's mercy upon our loved ones who are without Christ, for our neighbors are without Christ. The greatest love you can have for your neighbors, the greatest love you can have for the lost, is that you pray diligently for them and take opportunities to show them Jesus. Because we trust that God will use His Word in, the hearts, in their hearts through the ministry of His Spirit to apply it to their hearts to bring fruit unto salvation. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Finally, look at, look at, um, at verse number 16. God gave us the assurance of his love. So we're back in full circle. So having, all, having said all of this, that God has given us his spirit, God has given us his word, God has given us the ability to, to, to see and to trust and have faith and to confess that Jesus Christ, and in verse number 16, as though a concluding remark, although it's not concluding, it's not, it's not a conclusion, but he's, he says in verse number 16, so. We have come to know and we have come to believe the love that God has for us. This is John's reasoning, that the inner workings of the Spirit of God not only brings us to believe the saving work of Christ, but also the love that God has for us personally. This assurance is what moves us to love one another. There's a, is a difference. We, we, are, we are humbled when we truly understand and as we continue to grow in that understanding of God's love, which is an ongoing work, uh, understanding, uh, ongoing process of understanding the depth and the breadth and the height of God's love. It's an, I, I think it is something that will continue to grow through all eternity to understand fully the depth, the, the, the extent of God's love for us. And that assurance is what moves us to love one another. We are humbled that God so loved us, the undeserving, unlovable rebels, so that we see ourselves as fellow loved ones of God. So when I look at you, I can love you because I know that you were in the same boat that I was in and that God loved you, not because you were lovable, but because you were just like me in need of a savior that God saved you it puts us in the same camp we are the beloved of God therefore we love one another and in this God's love is perfected in us there's one last thing that we find that John brings out this aspect of as it plays out in not only in our relationship with one another but in the world as well we love one another because as he is so also are we in this world and i think there's a there's a couple of ways of of looking at that at that statement there as he is so also are we in this world we see this love that is perfected first of all as god's testimony in this world that's one aspect of understanding that, that statement but this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. This love that is perfected in us gives confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so we also we are in this world. This love for one another. John explains further this confidence for the day of judgment in the following verses. As he is, so also are we in the world. The the love that we have for one another is the testimony of God's grace in the world. That's what Jesus told his disciples. By this, after he washed their feet, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Not by the t-shirt that you wear that says, I love Jesus, not by the bumper sticker on your car that says, honk if you love Jesus. By this will all men know that you're my disciples when they look to the saints and see the love that we have one for another. This is the testimony of God in this world. This love that came into this world demonstrated by the love we have for one another, demonstrated that with the love for, for those who are without Christ, Preaching Christ so that they might be saved. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love we have for one another is otherworldly, it bears witness to what we are not. It bears witness that we are not of this world. Therefore, this love perfected brings great assurance. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I'd like to come back again to this next week. But here's the application, and we're going to come back to the application again next week. Here's the application, verse number 20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Oh, may it be a reality in the church, at Calvary Baptist Church, that we love one another. Truly, eternally genuinely and in a godly way as Christ has loved us thank you father for loving us in a way that is beyond our comprehension even those areas in which we are able to comprehend we stand in awe that the God of all creation would bend down himself into this world so that we might know you and so that we might know your love toward us help us now Lord As we go our different ways, by your Spirit, to truly love one another. And in truly loving one another, may we love the world around us enough to show them Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.